0: I just had to remind Ron that we had an elders meeting on Tuesday. That's all. Well, I mentioned to you before that uh, I've traveled to Nepal several times um, to teach and do ministry over there. And uh, when I go over there, uh, when I've been five different times, uh, there's a guy that I always travel with. Uh, He's a a Nepali man. His name is Anand. uh, A N A N D. And. uh, Anand is probably in his early 40s to mid 40s, and I just love spending time with this guy. He is a choice servant of the lord he 's one of those people that, when we get to heaven, he, his reward truck is going to be bountiful. Um, he just quietly does his thing and serves, and he 's impacted many, many people for the Lord. But uh, I always enjoy going over there to see him and for at least part of the trip, I end up staying at his house uh, in the capital city of Kathmandu and Uh, He has a a wife and two daughters, uh, two younger daughters, and I always enjoy staying there for at least a couple days. But one of the first times I was there at his house, uh, I noticed this girl, probably 12 or 13, a little older than his girls, and uh, she was doing different chores around the house, helping with the cooking. And I can't remember her name, but I I remember asking about her. Oh, is she a family member? Is she a cousin or something? And here's what they told me about her. Nepal, is you may or may not know, is one of the poorest countries uh, on that side of the world. And many times in Nepal, families don't make enough money to make ends meet. And they don't make enough money to feed all of their children. And tragically, one of the things that they'll do is they'll sell one of their kids. Um, And essentially, they end up selling them into slavery is what it amounts to. And they end up selling them to make enough money to be able to feed the other kids. And it's fairly common in Nepal for that to happen. And obviously, when they're sold, many times they're treated poorly. They really don't have any rights. They don't have the opportunity for an education. Um, and it's a pretty tragic situation there. Uh, well, in this particular case, Anand had somehow found out about this girl and that her father needed money and was planning to either rent her out or to sell her. And so Anand approached the man and essentially purchased her and brought her to his house. And the difference, of course, is that Anand's a believer. And in his house, this young girl was treated with dignity and with respect. And she was part of the family, essentially. She was taught to read and to write and fed well and had a room that was her own that she stayed in. And it was an amazing story to hear of what Anand had done for this girl. Now, Anand had no obligation to this girl at all. I mean, there was no connection. There was no familial connection. There was nothing that obligated Anand to be kind to this girl. But his kindness to her was the definition of the word grace. I mean, that is grace at at the most fundamental level. And to be honest with you this morning, when you and I encounter grace, even probably when you hear about grace to that level, it works on our souls and it does something to us at the, deepest, at the deepest level. It changes us in a very profound way to experience grace from someone else like that. Now, as far as it relates to this life, you and I have probably not experienced grace like that young girl has, being bought by a Christian man and having such kindness demonstrated to her. But can you imagine if you were that girl, how that act of grace would change you in a very profound and deep way? I mean, you would never be the same after experiencing something like that. And her entire life was drastically different because of her encounter with the grace and kindness of this Christian man and his family. And it's that sort of encounter that we're going to study and look at this morning in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Now, you know, we've been going through the series, Gospel Basics, and we're getting to the, toward the end of this, one more week in this series. And this whole series is setting the groundwork for our study of the Gospel of Mark. It's giving us some of the major themes that you need to understand and we need to understand in order to understand the Gospel of Mark And the thing about the gospel of Mark is you cannot grasp the message of this gospel. You can't grasp the message of the gospel without understanding the word that you see on the screen and the concept of grace this morning. You have to come face to face with the reality of God's free and unobligated grace to you and I before you can even begin to understand the gospel Grace is the gospel. This is the heart of what Mark is writing about, is this term and this concept of grace. And when you encounter God's grace, when you truly come face to face with this idea and with what's happening, when grace is demonstrated to you and I, it will change you in a fundamental and drastic way. And there's nothing that is needed more in our lives than encountering God's grace on a regular basis. The theologian J.I. Packer said this about God's grace No need in Christendom is more urgent than the need for a renewed awareness of what the grace of God really is. Christians long to see reformation and revival in the churches. That's true. Today, as yesterday, it is only from a rediscovery of grace that these blessings will flow. You've got to get a hold of this this morning. You've got to let this concept get a hold of you this morning. So today, let's consider God's grace. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to revel in God's grace on this morning and how it's expressed through Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to give you five characteristics of grace that should profoundly reshape our lives Five characteristics of grace, of God's grace expressed in Christ that should profoundly reshape our lives. And the first one of these, kind of an interesting word there, grace commiserates. It identifies and it has compassion on those in need. Grace commiserates, and this is in the first part of the story here. Mark chapter 1. Last time we studied, uh, honestly, one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of Mark. This whole uh, Mark 1, verses 21 to 39. It's a day in the life of Jesus Christ. And you get to kind of experience what Christ was doing day in and day out there. And that passage ended in verse 39 with this sort of general description of what happens now in Christ's ministry. Look at verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. So after this day in the life of Christ, now he goes out and he's, he's going through Galilee. He's going into synagogues. He's preaching. He's casting out demons. And this story that we're going to read in verses 40 to 45 here, this happens at some point in that ministry. We don't know exactly when. There's not a time frame put on it. But this is, this is one event that happened during that preaching tour. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him if you will you can make me clean now i know i know you've all heard about leprosy and you've read about leprosy in the bible but let me just adjust the way you think about this word leprosy here a little bit this morning all right i know something comes into your mind when you think leprosy but the reality is is that this word is used for a wide variety of of issues that people would have when you think and when I typically think leprosy, there's a disease called Hansen's disease. Um, If you're so inclined, you can look it up this afternoon on Google, Uh, but there's actually a cure for Hansen's disease nowadays if you have access to it. Um, But that could have been what this man had, but it may not have been what this man had. And the reason I'm making that distinction is important. And we'll get to that in a minute here. Um, but this word actually has a much broader range than just that particular disease. And what you're probably thinking of is the disease where you know people's fingers would get numb and they would end up eventually rub them off and skin would sort of um, fall off and all of that. And again, that may or may not have been what this guy had, but this word actually means a really broad range of skin diseases. Some of them honestly really wouldn't have been, like psoriasis would have been included in this. Things that really aren't that debilitating, That people suffer from. And that could have been something that this man had here. If you go back into the Old Testament, you don't have to turn there. But Leviticus chapter 13 gives us the Old Testament law as it relates to issues of skin diseases. All right, We're not going to read through that chapter this morning. Um, But the main emphasis in that chapter, we tend to think in terms of, of getting rid of the disease as being the primary piece of it. But that's not the main emphasis in Leviticus 13. The main emphasis there is on being clean versus unclean. It's on ritual purity. That's what Leviticus 13 is concerned about. Of course, you want to have the disease healed. But if I can say it this way, the bigger issue there is on being clean versus being unclean. Now, I want to take just a minute and explain clean versus unclean, and this whole paradigm for you, because that's really important in the gospel of Mark. We're going to come back to this as we're studying through this gospel here. But if you read through the book of Leviticus, if you read through the Old Testament law, this dynamic is very, very important in Jewish culture, in the Old Testament law. And here's kind of what it boils down to. The the bottom line is If you're clean, or let me say it this way, the closer you are to God in proximity, the closer you get to the tabernacle, to the holy of holies, the closer you get, the more clean you have to be. The more distinct you have to be, the more holy or set apart you have to be. Now, the more polluted you are, the more unclean you are, the further from God's presence you have to be. That's the basic understanding of what's happening there. So it works both ways. The more polluted you are, the more you are pushed to the fringes of society. You're put on the outside from the, from the mainstream of society. So really, being clean or unclean is a matter of, of wholeness and of distinctness, of being separate from, from the world around you. Now, when you think about that, It's not always a matter of of sinning. We tend to think in terms of of sin versus versus purity, but that's not always what it was. It could have been something like this skin disease that made you unclean. And now, because of that, you're pushed to the edges of the culture and of society. And when you and I hear that, we think, that is awful. That's terrible for somebody to to be treated that way. But you have to remember, in the Old Testament, one of the primary reasons for many of those laws was a spiritual reason, and it was to help Israel understand you have to be clean, you have to be without blemish to approach God's presence, it's so important, and you have to remain distinct from the nations around you. And so there were reasons for this in the Old Testament, and that was the reality of the situation. And the physical body was very important when it came to cleanliness versus uncleanliness. And so a disease like this that would sort of break the boundaries of the physical body, and indicate that you weren't whole, it made you unclean. So the person was considered unclean. This guy here that we encounter is considered unclean, and this guy would have been pushed to the edges of the culture and of society. Listen to Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, And let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this man here that we encounter in Mark chapter 1. He may have had what we think of as leprosy. He may have had something lesser. But this guy is unclean and he's living apart from his family, from his synagogue. He's not able to worship the Lord with the rest of his community. He's not able to go to work. He's pushed to the outside, to the margins of society. He is a social outcast. And having that sort of being a social outcast like that would have been nearly as devastating as having a skin disease I mean, it's awful to have to live like this and so you can see how because of all of that factoring in you can see how this guy approaches jesus look at verse 40 again and a leper came to him With all that background in mind, knowing the the situation this guy's living in, you can understand, imploring him, beseeching him, and kneeling. He literally gets on his knees, and he is begging Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. He obviously wants the skin disease gone, whatever it is, but look what he asks there. Make me clean. He wants the disease gone, but man, he wants to be reintegrated back into society. He wants to be with his family again. He wants to be clean. Now notice here about his request. This request is not, this guy doesn't list out his accomplishments. He doesn't tell Jesus what a great guy he is and all the good things that he's done. That's not how he approaches Christ. He's not claiming a right to be made clean. He's not telling Jesus that he deserves to be made clean. He literally throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he recognizes his need. His approach is not based on rights. It's based on a recognition of need. And that is precisely the place to be. James chapter 4 but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the posture that you and I need to imitate and need to be in. Charles Spurgeon describes how we ought to recognize our desperate situation and understand our need for grace and not a right to grace. He says this, it's pretty long. I'll break it up into a couple pieces. Beloved, We need never raise a question as to the Lord's will to give grace when we have the will to receive it. But still, I would have every sinner feel that he has no claim upon God for anything. Oh, sinner, if the Lord should give you up as he did the heathen described in the first chapter of the epistle to the Romans, you deserve it. You deserve it. If he should never look upon you with an eye of love, what could you say against his righteous sentence? You have willfully sinned. You deserve to be left in your sin. Confessing all this, we still cling to our firm belief in the power of grace and cry, Lord, if you will, you can. We appeal to our Savior's pitying love, relying upon his boundless power. That's exactly what this guy does here. He's asking for grace. And the beauty... The beauty of appealing to Christ's pitying love, like this man does here, is that Christ is full of that love. He is abounding. He is rich in that love. Look at verse 41. Moved with compassion or moved with pity. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is described as having an emotion or acting out of emotion. And what happens here is he assesses this man in his condition. He sees that he's unclean. He's living apart from the culture. This guy may have been physically deformed from whatever skin disease he had. Jesus assesses his condition and he responds accordingly to the terrible position this guy is in. And the way Christ responds here, this sets the tone for the rest of the gospel of Mark. I mean, this is the lens through which you and I should read Jesus Christ throughout the rest of the gospel of Mark. Christ's kingdom is one of compassion and grace on those who are in need and those who recognize their need. That's what I mean here when I say that grace commiserates. It sees us in our need and responds appropriately to that need. Jesus sees us in our miserable condition and he gives us to those who are humble. But in this story, Jesus doesn't just feel pity and feel compassion on this man, he acts accordingly. And that brings us to our second characteristic of grace grace connects, grace commiserates. Christ sees us in our pitiful condition. He feels that pity and then he acts on that compassion. Continue in verse 41, just a couple more phrases. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. You and I, we, we talked just a minute ago about how the primary issue here wasn't even necessarily the man's disease. Obviously, that's a part of this, but it's, it's him being unclean being cast out of society because he was unclean, he was ostracized. And because of that, anyone who touched him would become unclean. They would contract that uncleanness and they would have to be then cast out from society and set apart from the culture. It was a major social taboo to even approach a leper, much less to touch a leper. But here, the grace of Christ leads him Christ leads him to feel compassion on this man, and it leads him to reach out his hand and to touch this man. No other rabbi, no other scribe would ever do this. I mean, this was over the top. This was scandalous for Jesus to do this. And it's not that he was unconcerned with the Old Testament purity laws. It's not that he was sort of throwing all that aside and saying, please, we're beyond that now. That's not what he was doing here. What Jesus does understand, though, is the greater emphasis of the law in love and compassion and justice. Hosea 6, 6, and I forgot to put the real verse in there. Instead, I just copied the other one in there. But it talks about Christ not desiring a sacrifice, but desiring mercy and love and compassion. And I think what Jesus does here is very instructive for us here. He connects with this man. He reaches out. He touches this man in his uncleanness. I think this is helpful for us. We tend to think of holiness as the distance that we keep from sinful people and from sinful society. We tend to think if we can just gather into a group and put up walls, we can remain holy. And I think Christ's ministry throughout the book of Mark would demonstrate to us that that's not the proper understanding of holiness. It's not what holiness actually entails. Holiness is the positive acquisition of virtue. It's becoming like Christ. It's becoming distinct like him. And the main way we express holiness is by our benevolence and our love toward others, particularly to those who are downtrodden. And who are cast out from society. That's a major thing the prophets indict Israel for. Is the way they treated widows, orphans, refugees, all of that. That's what they went after them for. And I think Christ's actions here would say. That holiness means the way we treat them with love and compassion. So Christ's grace leads him to act in love. Toward those who are in desperate need. This man in particular. And look at the result, our third characteristic here. Grace commiserates, it connects, and it cleanses. Verse 42. Rest of verse 41 and then verse 42. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. You can see how many times there the word clean is used. Emphasizing that that was the major issue here, and it's fascinating that even though Jesus reaches out and touches one who is ritually unclean, he doesn't contract the the the, the uncleanness here. instead, the man becomes clean, and Jesus continues on. The man becomes clean in dramatic fashion here now i don't I don 't know what particular disease he had. I don't know if it was what we commonly think of as as leprosy, Hansen's disease. He could have been terribly disfigured, uh, as we typically think of leprosy. We don't know what it looked like, but the bottom line is here. He was instantly healed, physically restored, if he had fingers missing. They were restored instantaneously. His skin was whole again and no longer deformed in whatever way it was deformed. He was physically healed and Christ, the very touch of Christ, made him clean again, able to approach the culture and the society again. Now in the Gospel of Mark, there are other instances of Jesus healing lepers. This is something that happens and the, the writers draw our attention to with some regularity. And again, I just want to stress with you that when you think about when you encounter healing in the gospel narratives, don't just think in terms of, okay, Jesus healed them. That shows how powerful He is. Healing in the gospels is a, a demonstration, a reality of the inbreaking kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God reaching out and touching someone and making things right and putting things to the way that they ultimately will be in his kingdom and showing what his kingdom is like and how his kingdom operates. So each one of these miracles don't just show us that God's powerful. They definitely do that, but they tell us what God's kingdom is like. They describe it to us. Listen to Luke chapter 7. Verses 20 to 22 here. John the Baptist asks if Christ is the Messiah, which is all wrapped up in the coming kingdom. When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And look what Jesus does to answer that question. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. All of those activities indicated the arrival of the king and the reality of his kingdom presence. The kingdom is broken in on the world Now. And is setting things right. That's why Jesus says this to John. And that's why miracles like the cleansing of leprosy show us that his kingdom has arrived and what it will be like. And his kingdom is a kingdom of grace and mercy and compassion to those who are in need. So God's grace has compassion on those who are in need. Pity toward us in our condition. God's grace acts on that compassion and pity. It cleanses us. It cleanses this man from his uncleanness, from his disease. But God's grace also moves this man toward complete and total cleansing. And let me show you what I mean by this. Grace completes in verses 43 and 44. Remember, I told you that the emphasis in this passage is on the leper being cleansed and not just healed. So it's on him being restored to the society. So Jesus knows that. He knows that this man needs more than just physical healing. It's great, obviously, for Jesus to pronounce this man healed. That's obviously a good thing, and he does that here. But this man also needs to be recognized as being healed from leprosy. If he's been living on the edges of society, the culture needs to recognize that he has been made whole again, that he's allowed to reintegrate back into his family and into the worshiping community. And so Jesus tells him to do something else here in verses 43 and 44. Look there. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So if you read the Old Testament laws regarding leprosy, what happens is when an individual's skin clears up, when he is, is healed from this, when he reaches wholeness, and it's no longer evident that he has whatever form of leprosy he had, whenever that happens, there were a number of steps that he was supposed to go through. He couldn't just make that determination on his own. He had to go to the priest, and the priest had to examine him and had to declare him clean. And then he was to go to Jerusalem, and he was to offer sacrifices to show that he was made clean. There was a whole bunch of steps that had to happen here. And Jesus identifies at least one of those steps in the process, And tells this man, look, you need to go to the priest. You need to be declared ritually clean and show everyone that you're free from this disease. And so Jesus doesn't ignore the Old Testament law at all here. That's not what he's doing. He tells the man actually to go. He upholds the law in many ways. Ultimately, he fulfills the law. But he tells the man, look, you need to go and you need to follow what is prescribed for you. And you need to go to this priest here. And you need to be determined that you are cleansed, that you're free from the disease. And along with that, you can notice here in verse 44, see that you say nothing to anyone. He tells the man to keep the news quiet. Don't tell anybody about this. Instead, go to the priest and make sure that you're declared clean. Now, if you were with us last week or if you listened, if you understand that Christ had a desire to preach. Remember last week, the disciples wanted Jesus to continue in Capernaum what he was doing. And he said, no, I have to go into other towns and I have to preach the good news of the kingdom. Look at verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then he does that, right? He continues to follow through on that. And this command to this leper here is further confirmation of that desire. Jesus wants to stay on task and on target in his ministry. And he, he there's a, several reasons for that, but at least one of the reasons we talked about last week was people didn't fully understand his ministry yet. The disciples didn't get it. The crowd certainly didn't get it. They're focused on the miracles and Christ says, yes, the kingdom is coming with authority and power, but ultimately... I will have to give up that authority and sacrifice myself for your salvation. And that's the full reality of the, the good news of the kingdom. And they didn't understand that yet. They, they weren't grasping that yet. He wasn't teaching that yet. So he doesn't want them to get caught up on the miracles. In reality, what you'll see in the gospel of Mark is people want the miracles and not the cross. But what Jesus commands here, say nothing to anyone. That's not what happens at all. And that leads us to our last characteristic of grace. And this one is not grace from God to us, from Christ to this man. This is the response that the one who is healed has of grace. Grace received communicates. Grace received communicates. Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, let me kind of explain what's going on here. We don't know if the man went to the priest first or not. It sort of reads like he didn't, like he immediately went out, but he may have gone to the priest first and then went out and started broadcasting what had happened. And the results of this are going to shape Christ's ministry for chapters to come. You can see how significant this this is here. He couldn't go into towns and preach anymore in the synagogues, which is what he wanted to do. He couldn't do that. Now he has to stay out in the wilderness in the desolate places and people came out to him. But he couldn't do the ministry essentially that he wanted to do because of this. And most likely what's happening here is people are coming out and they're clamoring for miracles more and more miracles, and they're missing the point of his ministry here. So did this man do the right thing or not? I don't know exactly what happened with him. I'm not 100% sure, but here's what we can learn from this, all right? Despite the difficulty that this created for Jesus in his ministry, there is an important lesson that we learn from this, and it's what's on the screen. When you have received grace you will communicate about that grace that you've received. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Whether he was supposed to do this or not, this is a natural response to someone who has received the type of grace that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon and that we see here with this this leper. When you encounter the grace of Christ and receive something that you did not deserve at all, it will change you dramatically. This man cannot keep it quiet. I mean, think about his situation for a moment. His life has been completely transformed. And there's no hope for medical intervention at this time. There's very little chance that he would ever get back to see his family again, that he would ever be able to sit and listen in the synagogue, that he'd ever be able to go to Jerusalem and worship there and offer sacrifices. There's very little chance that he ever would have been able to go back to work again and engage in whatever job he did. But because of what Christ has done here, he can go back and hug his wife. He can go back and spend time with his kids. He can go back and listen to the law taught in the synagogue. He can go offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. His life has been completely transformed because of the grace, the compassion, and the kindness that Christ has shown him. He has been cleansed and made whole, and he is going to tell everyone that he encounters about what has happened. Now, the application is obvious, right? It's almost too easy <laughs> to make the application for us, right? I mean, it's, you're probably already thinking it. God's grace should fundamentally change my perspective, and it should lead me to share about the reception of that grace. And that's the easiest application in the world. So why don't we do that? That's the question I ask myself this week as I'm looking at this. Why don't I do this? Why don't I respond this way? Why don't I share this consistently? Why am I not building my life, organizing my life in a way where I can share this grace with other people? Why don't we do this? Why don't I do this? There, There are a host of reasons for this, right? I mean, there's... There's a ton of different motivations for why we don't do this. But very often in my life, I don't position myself to encounter the free grace of Jesus Christ. I just don't think about his grace in terms of grace. I don't consider just how amazing the fact is that I have been redeemed, I have been cleansed, I have been made whole And I did not deserve that at all. I just don't even consider that on a regular basis like I should. And I don't know what your baseline conception of God is. I don't know when you wake up in the morning what the first kind of characteristic of God is that you think about. I don't know what your gut reaction to circumstances is and how you perceive God as involved in those circumstances. But I think what this would tell us is that our gut reaction should be that God is a God of grace and that He has shown kindness to us that is beyond compare. The New Testament is absolutely filled with talk of God's grace. And this is the the throbbing heart of New Testament Christianity it's responding to God's grace. Almost every letter in the New Testament begins with the words, grace to you. Grace to you. God's grace is the goal to which we are all headed, right? I mean, this is the bottom line. This is what we're headed toward. Ephesians 2, 7. Look at this. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look, this this is what God wants to do for all of eternity. He wants to show you how gracious he is. This is the end game. (laughs) On the new earth, with Christ, with one another, God is going to pour out the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. And he's already doing that in our lives. Everything he does is geared toward this. And yes, there are difficulties. And yes, there are tough things. But this is his goal. This is what he wants to do. This is the God that he is at the baseline level. And so many times my perception of God is not in line with this. I think of him as kind of kind of mean, as trying to withhold things from me. I think of him as maybe unjust. Why did this happen in my life? This is frustrating. I wish it wouldn't have gone this way. And the New Testament would tell us, listen, even in the midst of those difficult times, this is how you have to think of Christ. It's grace. It's undeserved kindness. And I think like what J.I. Packer said at the beginning, that this is the need that we have in our churches and in our lives, to encounter God's grace. This is what it's all about for us. This is the thing that will change us. This is the news, right? The gospel is news. It's a declaration of what God has done and he has shown us grace. So let's revel in that news. Let's enjoy that news. It's not advice. It's not, it's not primarily telling you how to order your life and how to live, although it's certainly there are implications of that and the New Testament is clear on that, but it's a declaration. The gospel of Mark is a declaration of God's grace to us demonstrated in Jesus Christ. It's about his kindness to a bunch of lepers, because that's what we are. And it's about the response of those lepers when they understand that they have been cleansed, they have been made complete. So what do you and I need to do this week? Let's let's revel in God's grace. I want you to come this morning. This is what I want every week, but I want you to come and I want you to respond by going, God has been so good to me. His grace is so kind. And I'm going to respond to that appropriately. I'm just going to enjoy that. And that will change you at the heart level. When you encounter his grace like that, everything will be different. To do that this week, find a place in scripture, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, where you can just sit and enjoy God's grace. I hope you'll do that. Let's pray. Father, even now it's hard to it's hard to get our minds around how good you've been to us. It's hard to emotionally grasp this truth from Ephesians two, seven. That this is the goal. This is what we're headed toward. You just want to demonstrate the riches of your grace. You want to showcase for us how good you are, how kind you've been to us. It's it's hard to even connect our emotions to that, Lord. And it's certainly difficult throughout the week. It's hard when we wake up in the morning, we don't feel well, when things don't go our way, when there's aches and pains and relational difficulties, Lord, it's tough to go back to this truth. But I pray for myself. I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would help us this week, Lord, to just revel in your grace, to, to more deeply understand just how, undeserving we are, and just how kind you have been to us. Change us at the deepest level. Help us to be joyful people who respond with excitement to the grace of Christ. Help us to be people who speak of this to others, who can't help but talk about just how good you've been to us. I ask that you would help us to encounter this grace. It would Alter the way we live. We need your spirit to do that work. We can't can't work up the emotions and the joy and the reaction on our own. We need you to do that. So I ask that you would do that even now, even this week. And we love you for it. In Christ's name we pray.